Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast. Each week you'll be able to check in for our messages from Sunday and other material. We hope that our messages encourage you in your walk and daily faith with Jesus. Make sure to check out our website, BethelStratford.org. And so we're moving on to the last fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control. It's the one that you've either been waiting for, or the one that you forgot was today, and now you uncomfortably want to leave the room. (laughs) Or, you're now kind of elbowing the person beside you saying, this is why I brought you. So I'm going to share with you one of the times in my life where I honestly lacked all self-control. And I'm going to explain and talk a little bit more about how self-control relates a lot more than to just food. When we think self-control, many of us think food, but it relates to so much more than that. But the story I'm going to share with you is about food. Um, I was introduced to a restaurant at Conestoga Mall called Spring Rolls. Some people I don't even need to continue. Um, I went there for a birthday party, and it was a lot of fun. I went in with about probably eight other guys, um, and never been there before. I understood that it was a buffet, but I didn't realize it was like just small little orders, and so to actually get some food, you actually had to order a lot, and when there's a lot of guys, you order even more, and when you start rhyming off orders, because you only get like, when you say... I'll have ribs, and there's only like literally three ribs coming, and there's eight guys, you realize like when you order, you're like, can we have ten orders of ribs? You realize like it sounds large, but it's not, Um, unless you're sitting here like, no, Chad, that's large. doesn't matter how many people. (laughs) But the food started coming, and I was sitting with some guys I've never ate with before, and as the food, I was sitting kind of right at the end of the table, so the food came from this end. And I kid you not, as the plate was passed by the waiter, as he's, he wasn't passing to somebody to pass down. He was reaching to hand it past two or three guys. There was forks stabbing the plate. <laughs> and as it got to me, it was already pretty much empty and it didn't stop me. Trust me, I ate enough. But I had ate so much that night that literally I was sitting at the table and I honestly thought I was going to toss my cookies. <laughs> And so I got up, and I actually felt so bad, I went to the restroom, because I'm like, I think I'm actually going to throw up, I ate so much. Um, I think walking the stairs maybe helped, because I didn't. But I started realizing as I was walking to and from the restroom, Chad, why did you do this to yourself? Why did you eat so much that literally you feel like your body can't hold it? And I know some of us want to say, well, because it tastes so good. Or you paid this much, you got to eat. I was talking to a gentleman this week and he said to me, he said, why is it when we go to a buffet, we need to fill ourselves, but when we go to a nice restaurant, we still pay about the same amount of money, but a lot of times we get a small little plate full and we walk out going, that was delicious, I feel great. But yet when we go to a buffet, pay the same amount, we're like, hey, sweetie, do you still have your maternity pants? And I am trying to be funny, so you're laughing. So I'm, I don't mean this 
as offense, but do you realize that the lack of self-control or gluttony when it comes to food is one of the only sins that we will actually laugh at? Right? Like when it comes to Thanksgiving, so many people are like, I'm going to have the meat sweats. I'm going to have to pass out this afternoon afterwards. And everyone's like, yeah, me too. And we all laugh. But if one of us got up here, I have to watch because I realize this goes on the website. But if all of a sudden somebody got up and was like, I drank so much alcohol, I was puking everywhere. If somebody got up and said, I took so much drugs, I was so high, I don't remember what I did. If somebody got up and said, I looked at porn for so long, I almost went crazy, nobody's going to laugh. If somebody stood up and was like, I got so angry this week, I just lost it and I yelled at everybody. None of us are going to laugh. But for some reason, when it comes to self-control, when it comes to these things, we'll laugh. And I'm with you. I'm, not, I'm, I'm on the same page. I'm, I've convicted myself of, why do we laugh about this stuff? See, I don't think the fact that self-control is the very last one listed, I don't think is a mistake. I don't think it was just, you know, I'm going to rhyme some stuff off and, oh, self-control. I think it was put intentionally. If you look at Galatians 5, 23, our verse for this summer, it says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. See, I believe it's at the very bottom Because to do all of the other ones, to love, to have joy in our lives, to be peaceful, to be patient, to be kind, to have goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, we need to have self-control. See, for me to show you love, when deep down my flesh wants to hit you, I have to have self-control. For me to have peace... As we prayed already, when I'm in the midst of a storm, I need to have self-control. I need to be able to look past everything and go, no, I can stop here. I see what everybody else is doing, but I'll stop here. My flesh wants to do this, but I say no. It applies to all of them. The Greek word that's used is called enkrateia. And it's meaning, it's actually defined as mastery over, control, control over. So when it talks about self-control, it actually is talking about you having a mastery over yourself. Your body, your flesh does not tell you what to do. Your mind does not tell you what to do. Your spirit has control over it all. So when I say, oh, I don't know what happened. I just lost control. No. Because of the fruit of the spirit means I have control of myself. I have full control of who I am. I think every one of us can admit there's been a time where we haven't shown this fruit of the spirit. That we've lost control. 
I played hockey in a tournament with my dad. This is back when I was in my early 20s, and it was my dad's workplace, and so a bunch of different teams from the factory split up and just playing against each other for fun, and my dad convinced them to let his family come and play. So one line was me playing center, my brother on one wing, and my uncle on the other, and my dad and my cousin playing defense. It was great. It was fun. And then I came up against a guy I went to high school with. And for some reason, every time we faced off against each other, he would cheap shot me. And I'm not exaggerating. I honestly was playing clean because I had to keep it together because I was with my parents and my family. And so I was trying to watch my behavior and he was just sticking me every chance he had. And I remember coming into a face-off circle and at the time I had just put a half visor back on. I usually play without it. And I came into the face-off dot. As soon as the puck hit, I won it clean. I was like, wow, that was easy. But all of a sudden, I took a cross-check right to the face. And he pushed my visor right to my nose. And I realized, if I didn't have a visor on, you just broke my nose. So I did the godly thing. And I came up and dropped my stick and punched him right in the head. (laughs) Just thought I'd lay hands on him and, and pray for him. And so here I am, not thinking, and within a second, I'm standing there, and we're fighting. And I hear my dad behind yell at me. And so as any good kid, when the parents yell, I punch them two more times, (laughs) skated away. (laughs) I tell you the story, not again, not to just share humor, but to show you that I'm not preaching to you, I'm preaching with you. I know what it's like to lose control. And the more I've done this study, what I am getting out of it is the closer I am to God, and I shared this last week, the closer I am to Jesus, the more the fruit of the Spirit just blossoms out of me. I know a guy shouldn't say it blossoms out of me, but it does. It's like flowers on a spring day. Just to make it worse. These are the fruit of the Spirit that just come out of us. The Spirit tells us, it tells us that when we're attached to the vine, we don't have to worry. It just happens. Barclay writes in the letter, in his, um, in his book, The Letters to the Galatians and Ephesians, he defines self-control as the word in kratia, which Plato uses of self-mastery. It is the spirit which has overcome and controlled its desires and its love of pleasure. It is used for an athlete's discipline to the body, of the body in 1 Corinthians 9.25, and of the Christian's control of sex in 1 Corinthians 7.9. Secular Greek uses uses it of a virtue of an emperor who never lets his private interests influence the government of his people. It is a virtue which enables people... To have such control of themselves, they are fit to be the servant of others. If Paul was, it was Paul's belief and experience that Christians died with Christ and rose again to life, new and clean, in which the evil things of old self were gone, and the lovely things of the Spirit came to fruition. So to a point, I master myself to a point where I can just serve. I'm not concerned. I'm not worried. I'm not trying to elevate. But I can just come in and humbly serve. 
Are we at a point in our lives where we have such self-control that when somebody wrongs us, we can actually serve them? Or we can actually come beside them and walk with them? Our old self is gone. Do you know that? I think this is one of the things as Christians we struggle with. When you accept Jesus Christ in your life, I love the saying, you don't have to give up anything, but everything else becomes less important to you as you get closer to him. As you get closer to him, you become more holy and righteous because you begin to realize, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do these things because I want to be closer to him. Think about it with your spouse. Think about it in a relationship. When you want to be closer to someone, you stop doing things that pull you away. And you start to honor and to respect and to love. Spurgeon, he says this, self-control. He defines it, this keeps every passion under control, not only with respect to meats and drinks, but with regard to everything else. To everything else. It's regard to all temptation. With our anger, our jealousy, our desire to gossip, our desire to tear people down, our desire to envy. I was talking with some people this week and it just it came up in conversation. And isn't it true as Christians, it's really hard to watch when other people get blessed? Nobody's really going to admit it. But as Christians, when we find out that somebody's been blessed, when we find out that something's happened in their life, whether it's a healing, whether it's a financial provision, whether it's something like that, when we hear that something's happened for somebody, we want to say, God bless them. But for some reason, there's a little bit part of us like, well, God, I was praying for the kind of the same thing. And it's just our flesh. And you know, I'll pray and I'll be like, God, God bless them. And in the same prayer, I might have to say, and flesh, be quiet. Because deep down, my heart is, God bless them. I'm thrilled that God is doing this. And a little voice, you know that it's cartoons, right? Little voice, what about you? It's kind of one of those things of like, shut up. My heart is, God bless you. See, temptation is not a sin. Some of you, you might need to hear this for a moment. If you are tempted to do something, you have not sinned. If you do that temptation, you have now sinned. That's why the Bible tells us that the Lord will give us a way out when we're tempted. He doesn't say you won't be tempted. He says when you are tempted, I'll give you a way out. So if you have been tempted, don't beat yourself up. Because Jesus was tempted, but the Bible tells us he never sinned. So you can be tempted and still have control. When we think we can't stop ourselves or we have no control over ourselves, we're believing a lie of the enemy. If you've tried to do something in your life, if you've tried to shift the lifestyle, and you all of a sudden believe, I can't do this, I just can't control myself, 
The enemy is lying to you. And he's whispering lies to you. And in our flesh, we're hearing it and we're believing it. And so sometimes the, easy, the hardest thing with changing a lifestyle isn't the actual change. It's actually believing we can. And we can because who the Holy Spirit is in us. So whatever you're trying to get through, you can do it with the strength of the Holy Spirit. Titus 2 says this. Starting at verse 1, it says, You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and in sound faith, in love and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and, to be, and pure, to be busy at home and to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will margin the word of God. Similarly, encourage the younger men to be self-controlled and everything, everything set them, sorry, in everything, set them an example by doing what is good in your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, and so that those who oppose you may be ashamed when they have nothing bad to say about us. We're supposed to teach each other. All generations. We're supposed to learn from one another how to do this. So the nice thing is, I'm never too young to learn, and I'm never too old to learn. We're always learning. So many times, myself included, I've said this, and I'm trying to stop saying it. But so many times we will use this, term, this kind of phrase, we'll say, I'm sorry, it's just the way I am. I've said it so many times about different areas of my life. I'm very straightforward, I'm really a straight shooter, I'm kind of blunt at times. And I've realized that a lot of times I've said, sorry, it's just the way I am. And I realize, no, I can change that and I can say stuff more lovingly and I can come across with a little more empathy. And so I've been praying. I've been asking, Lord, Lord, help me. The moment we say, it's just the way I am, is the moment we believe that God can't change us. And if we believe that God can't change us, then we are questioning the power of God. The person who created me can change me. He can mold me. Because I am his clay. Now, anybody ever play with clay? Let's be honest. Anybody play with Play-Doh? I don't know about you, but when you build something, if I built a man... And all of a sudden I realize, oh, I gotta change something. You know what I gotta do? Right. I either gotta crush it, or if it's just his leg I gotta fix, I usually just rip it off. (laughs) If I gotta fix its head, I just kinda pop it off. And we wonder sometimes when we pray, God, I want to be more like you. Which we should pray, but how many people know it's kind of a dangerous one? Because what we're asking him is, Lord, take your clay 
remold it to be more like you. And sometimes he can just kind of, you know, straighten the leg a little bit because this thigh is bigger than this thigh. He doesn't have to rip it off. But sometimes he's got to rip it off and rework it. Those are the times in our lives where the Bible talks about pruning us. And he prunes us so we can be healthier and we can be stronger. Goes on in Titus and says, verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. In this day and time, we are still supposed to be set apart. We're still supposed to live a controlled life. I need to teach my children how to live a controlled life. And how do I teach them that if I'm uncontrolled? I see a chiropractor in town and him and I, we kind of chit-chat a lot when I'm there. And we talk about God and we talk about different things. and, And he challenged me on one of my first appointments with him. And I think it's why I stuck with him. And when I tell you, you might go, I don't know if I would have went back. But when I sat with him and he found out what I did for a living, and we talked about professions, and we talked about how he speaks into people's lives to change what they do physically to make them healthier, and he looked at me and he said, so you speak into people's spirits to help them live a more spiritually healthy life. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I do. And he challenged me. How can you speak into somebody's life to get them to live more spiritually healthy when you don't live physically healthy. And he goes, I treat so many ministers and all of you are overweight. Right. But it hit me. And he made me think, and he made me think, and I was like, you know what, you're right. How can I speak into somebody's life and how can I encourage you to change your spiritual life if I'm physically living an unhealthy lifestyle? Because see, here's the thing. I can't stand here and look and examine your spiritual life. Now there's times when the Holy Spirit shows me stuff. I give you that. Don't worry. Don't question stuff like that. I, he speaks to me. But if I stood up before you, you can tell if I live physically un- unhealthy. And so when I go back, him and I, we have this conversation back and forth. We still talk about it. And so he's really made me challenge my thought process and my living style. And of course he said it when I was at my peak weight of my life. Right? That's the way God works. Chad, you're not doing well. You're doing bad. I'm going to hit you now. And so he hit me. And you know what's interesting? I've been putting an effort in, and I won't give you guys numbers because I don't want to tell you the high number. But as I struggle, in the moments where I get to a point where I'm like, oh, this is too frustrating, I'm going to quit. One of my pastoral friends posts a picture on Facebook and shows how much weight they've lost in the last year or so. And I'm a numbers guy. So I quickly figure out how much weight they lost, break it down to how much weight that is per week. I know, it's, it's the nerd in me. But every time I do, the number is so low, I go... Oh, I can do that. 
I just need more perseverance. And it's interesting how the Lord will bring things along in your life to encourage you and to lift you up in the journey because self-control takes so much perseverance. So much perseverance to get through and to push through. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them we may participate in divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to firm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter's telling us that self-control needs perseverance. If we don't have perseverance, you will lose quickly. Bill Hybels, in a book he wrote, it was called Who You Are When No One Is Looking. He has a whole chapter dedicated to uh, delayed gratification. Delayed gratification is just delaying your gratification. I know, it's simple. If you sit down to eat a piece of cake... And you just love icing, so you flip it on its side and eat all the cake and save the icing for the end, you're having a delayed gratification. Delayed gratification is saying to yourself, I really want to buy this right now, but in two years from now, I really want to be out of debt. So I'm not going to buy this now, so in two years, I can celebrate. Delayed gratification. A friend told me when I asked him, hey, what helped you adjust your lifestyle and get yourself healthy again? He said to me, he goes, I started liking the thought of being healthy more than I like the taste of some food. And like I said, this isn't just about food. Do you like the idea or do you like the feel of a loving home or being right all the time? Some things just aren't worth fighting over. Some things just aren't worth fighting over. Hey, we got home at 6. Actually, it was 6.15. Right? Like something, but we do this and then it causes disruption. Actually, it wasn't 615. I said 6, but it was actually 607. And all these things happen. 
What is more important to you? Are we okay having a lower quality of lifestyle now so we can have a higher quality later? Are you okay with having not the newest gadget so you can actually pay off some bills? Or do you need the newest gadget? Sometimes delayed gratification, waiting for something better, is actually a much greater idea. Especially if you're looking for a husband or a wife. Just because somebody is there doesn't mean it's the right move. It's better to wait. And to wait for the right one than to marry the wrong one. See, this goes against everything in society today. Everything that is happening in society today is what we want and we want it now. Newer and better. I remember the source when their company released a commercial and literally the whole punchline of the commercial was, I want that. You know our society is an interesting place when they don't try to hide it with, you need this or this is going to help your life. Nope, I want it. That was their sales pitch. I want it. This is our society. Fashion is changing faster than ever. I forget the statistic on how much clothes is thrown into the landfills every year because of how fast fashion changes. Companies are releasing products faster than ever. Every year there's a new phone. If it even lasts a year. Everything is new, new, new. We are supposed to be different. Paul actually writes Timothy and listen to what he writes and see if it connects with today. 2 Timothy 3, starting at verse 1, it says, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderless, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. I think that kind of speaks prophetically. Now, does any of this sound like us? There's a lot of these areas where you'd be like, nope, that's not me, nope, that's not me. But do we lack self-control? See, maybe not in all of the areas of your life, but maybe there's still one. There's probably still one area in your life, at least, that you lack self-control. It may be something hidden. It may be something that people know about. But see, when it says in verse 5, having a form of godliness but denying its power. If we don't believe we can change our lifestyle, if we don't believe we can change and have control of ourselves, we're denying God's power in our lives. Which I think floods into other areas of our lives. If I don't believe God can change me, how can I fully believe when I pray for healing in you? If I don't believe God can fully heal, then I won't believe that God can fully provide. And then I begin to doubt who he is and I begin to raise myself higher than God because I think I need to depend on myself. 
And now I suffer from lack of self-control because to keep myself elevated, I have to make sure that you're not. And it's just a vicious cycle. See, if I know that I am everything in Christ, and everything I have is Christ, and my reputation and who I am is in Christ, if he elevates you higher than me, God bless you. Because God is elevating you. I had a mentor tell me, he said, Chad, never build a pedestal for you to stand on. Because if you build it, you have to make sure you can stay on it. If God elevates you on the pedestal, he'll keep you on it. If we build our own, it'll be shaky because we have to keep ourselves there. If God will lift you up, if he will raise you up in a company, if he'll raise you up in a workplace, if he will raise you up in your community, he will keep you there if you stay in him. If you try to do it yourself, you have to maintain it yourself. See, it's just easier trusting in him. Galatians 5.9 says, A little yeast works through a whole batch of dough. This is in reference to a negative influence. A little bit of doubt in God will work its way through in every area. We need to be different. We need to fight to be in control of ourselves so that we can submit ourselves to God. See, for me to fully submit to God, I have to be in control of myself. We read about Barclay and how he wrote about Paul. And when he, Paul broke down how in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, he talks about athletes. And he says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown and will not, that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, do not run like someone running aimlessly. Do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not disqualify not be disqualified for the prize. We need to become masters of ourselves. I encourage you to read all of uh, 1 Corinthians, read from like chapter, 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to uh, 10, 13. And just read the whole chapter, that whole bit where he's talking about this. And understand that we need to come to the understanding when, when we are in a relationship with Jesus, we're supposed to train. We're supposed to put in an effort. That means we're supposed to read the word. That means we're supposed to do things that set us apart from other people around us. Some of us believe that when I read the word of God and pray, that's all I need to do. God wants us, Paul says, training. You're in a race. And I love how Paul says, only one gets the prize. I realize that we're all going for a crown, but I do believe and understand that as Christians, there is a part of us that needs to want to defeat the enemy. You realize that you are in a fight against the enemy, and if you're not wanting to fight him, he will beat you. You need to wake up every morning ready to fight. And you need to be trained so you will fight. We need to be able to stand to temptation. And we need to be able to allow God to show us the way out and follow it. Actually 
See, here's the tough part. Now that you know, because I'm telling you repeatedly, that God will give you a way out when there's a temptation. That if you give in to the temptation, you've actually made a choice. Because he'll give you a way out, and your choice is flee or give in. So if you give in, you've made a choice to give in. It's not that you lack control, you chose to. When somebody opened my eyes to this, I really didn't like it. But the reality is, we're led astray by our own evil desires. So we have to defeat that, and we have to lean into Christ more, and build up our strength in self-control. And here's the cool part. He will help you to master yourself. By his strength, you can take control and say no to the sins that are coming at you. Obviously, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit, but it's by trusting in it more than yourself. If you want to read on how you can, if you want to read something, I have an article here, but I'm not going to take the time to read it. Just read on the Navy SEALs and read on their, what they call Hell Week. And if you read on their Hell Week, And what they have to do to proceed in their training because it's the week where they eliminate people before the government and invest all the money into them. They have to convince themselves that they can do what their body says it can't. And that is what God asks us to do. When we think we can't do something, in God's power we can. And so we need to stay in touch with him. And the more we submit to him, the more we'll have self-control. And God will help you change anything because it's his desire. And when you're closer to him, it naturally comes out of you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you that my power and my strength is in you. And that, Father, through you, I can change anything in my life. That, Father, the words, I don't have control or I can't do this, is a lie of the enemy. And so, Father, for everybody in this room that believes this and hears this, I break off the lies in the name of Jesus. That, Father, we will begin to receive and understand that through you, we can do anything. That, Father, with you, nothing is impossible. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that everybody in this room begins to understand that whatever it is where they know they lack self-control. And Holy Spirit, you can share that with them right now. Most of us know in our own hearts what we lack self-control in. And so, Holy Spirit, strengthen us and lead us that we can have control in our lives through you. If you're here this morning and I've talked about this connection with Jesus and this connection with God and if you're connected to him, these things can change in your life. If you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I just want to give you an opportunity this morning. Because through him, as I said, all of this is possible. But in order for it to be possible for you, you have to say, I need him. And so with every eye closed in the room, just showing respect and privacy for the people. If that's you this morning, if you're here and you said, Chad, I've never accepted Jesus, so I don't 
have what you're saying and I want to experience him in my life. If that's you this morning, I want to pray with you. Just raise your hand up. Every eye closed out of respect. If you want to accept Jesus Christ for the first time this morning, raise your hand. Thank you. Anybody else? Nice and high. If you're here this morning and you've accepted Jesus Christ before and you've just been on a journey and you feel like, Chad, I'm kind of far away from him, I need to reconnect to the vine so I can have the fruit of the Spirit in my life. If that's you this morning, I want to pray with you. Just raise your hand up, eyes closed. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody else want to raise their hands with these people? Let's all stand together. I'm going to stretch you if you raised your hand. What I'm going to ask you to do, if you raised your hand saying, I want to accept Jesus for the first time, or raised your hand saying, I just want to reconnect to him, I'm going to ask you just to come forward and come and stand with me at the front here. As they come, can you just give them a hand? Now, for some of us, maybe you didn't even raise your hand or maybe you did raise your hand, but the thought of coming forward scares you. So here's what I want to happen right now. I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you just to ask them nicely and politely and gently and just say, would you like to go forward? Because if you want to go forward, I will go with you. And if they say yes, come with them. As you're asking your neighbor, if I could get some of the prayer team just to come and stand with the ones at the front. Thank you for coming. It takes courage. But everybody in this room has made this journey once or twice, if you're like me, many times. And so let's pray together. Everybody in the room, let's repeat after me. If you're at the front, just pray from your heart. If you're still in your seats and you didn't want to come forward, just pray from your heart. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to the cross for a sinner like me. I ask Jesus... Forgive me of all my sins. Come into my heart. Wash me clean. And forgive me. I want to follow you the rest of my days. Lead me. Strengthen me. Help me to have self-control. Help me to persevere. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Can we give them a hand? Let's remember. Let's never forget the Bible tells us that when one person comes to know the Lord, there's a party in heaven. Paraphrasing, obviously. But this is something that we want to do all the time. My heart's prayer and the staff heart's prayer is that the front of this church is a place that you go to just to get closer to Jesus. 
And so whenever you need to come, I ask you to come. And so the prayer team that's here right now, I'm going to ask you just to talk to these individuals, connect with them, and just see how you can help. If any other the prayer team is still in the room, if I could get you to come and just stand on either side of the room. And then if there's people that need prayer for anything that needs you want prayer for this morning, come. And somebody will pray with you at the end of the service. We're going to close in prayer. We're going to make our way down to the park for the picnic in the park. I hope you'll join us there. So Lord, I thank you for your mighty presence. I thank you for how you change lives and you speak into lives. Lord, I thank you for the ones that came forward this morning saying, Lord, I just need to reconnect with you. Help us, Lord, as we show the fruit of the Spirit, as we walk our lives and live our lives out. Help us, Lord, to have self-control. Let us be a light for you everywhere we go. And so, Father, guide us and lead us this week. Protect us. Help us to work as if we're working for you and give us courage this week. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Thanks for checking out this week's message. Bethel Church Podcast. We hope that it's blessed you and encouraged you. And that you come back and check out next week's message as well. 